This is the Purpose Church podcast where we exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. We are in week three of a series called Road Trippin'. Everybody say Road Trippin'. And I just want to take this moment to say thank you to the team uh, for taking care of everything for the last couple of weeks that I was out sick. I'm, I don't get sick ever, ever. And so when I do, it's just really annoying. Anybody else? I mean, it's just more annoying than anything. I wasn't worried about nothing. I was just annoyed that I didn't get to do what I wanted to do and be with the people I wanted to be with. And But I wanted to uh, publicly thank Pastor Jesse for that powerful word on joy last week. What a powerful word. We got to watch it from home. And thank you to the team and everybody for making it possible for us to be in church when we aren't feeling like we can be. So grateful uh, for the team and the staff and all the volunteers that pull everything off. In this series, Road Trippin', we're looking at the Apostle Paul and all of the epic road trips that guy took. The back of your Bible has a bunch of maps in it. If you, if you have a big honking Bible like this one, this is a preaching Bible. You can slam this one down and break something. This, in, in the back of those kinds of Bibles, there are maps. And most of those maps are focused around these big road trips, or your Bible will call them missionary journeys, that the Apostle Paul took. And it took him to incredible Incredible places. And during this series, we're traveling with Paul. And we're taking a road trip with him. And we're going to meet the people he met. And we're learning the things that he learned. And we're, we're getting to eavesdrop and read the letters that he wrote while he was on these trips. And, and meeting the people he met and learning the lessons he learned. And especially the spiritual lessons that he either taught to people or the ones he learned himself. All of it in the Bible, it all matters and it needs to matter to us. And we're looking at these stories uh, and, it's, and it's a lot of fun. Today we are looking at a, a story about a man named Philemon. Now Philemon is a book in the Bible. In fact, I, I hesitate to even call it a book in the Bible because it's only 25 verses. It truly is a letter. 335 words is all it took. And do you remember uh, when you were writing essays for, for school and you had that ticker down at the bottom and it would tell you how many words you got. And if you were like me and it was bef- while you were working out your salvation with Jesus, you'd add a couple of spaces just to see those stickers. You know, they're trying to make sure the teacher couldn't notice um, but some of you guys liked school, others like me, you saw it as prison. But I was trying my f- best to get out of there as fast as I could. Well, Paul didn't do that in his letter to Philemon. In fact, it was a handwritten letter on parchment paper that nobody had read at all until it got to the receiver. And the letter from, fa- from Paul to Philemon is very important. It's, one of, it's the shortest letter in the New Testament, and the only one devoted, the only letter from Paul. Now, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He didn't know he was writing the New Testament. That wasn't even a thing yet. But he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, and this is the only letter devoted exclusively to private and personal matters. It's It's a very personal, 
heartfelt from Paul to Philemon, a very personal letter. Now, Philemon was a man who was a very dear friend of Paul's, and this was not a large general letter like the rest of Paul's writings. Paul would usually start those writings saying, Paul, an apostle, because he was writing to the church at Corinth, and, and he needed to announce who he was. He didn't do any of that to Philemon. He wrote Paul a prisoner. There was no need for Paul to tell Philemon who he was because Philemon was such a good friend of his. He knew exactly who Paul was. He was writing to his dear friend. There was no need to remind him of his apostleship. This letter was delivered to Philemon because Paul was actually in jail. And I don't know if any of you have ever been to jail while you were on a road trip. If you have, I need to know that story so I can use it in a sermon in a couple of weeks, all right? So please tell me if you've ever been to jail on a road trip, um, lkiker at thepurposechurch.com. I need to know that story, please. The letter was delivered to Philemon by a man named Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. This brother is who this story is all about. The letter, it does not bear his name, but the letter is all about him. And we're going to just read through Philemon. It's only 25 verses, so let's read it together today. From Paul, a prisoner of the anointed one Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our precious friend and companion in this work, to the church that meets in Philemon's house, along with our dear sister Aphia and our fellow soldier Archippus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ pour out his grace and peace upon you. I'm always thankful to my God as I remember you in my prayers because I'm hearing reports about your faith in the Lord Jesus and how much love you have for all of his holy followers. I pray for you that in the faith, that the faith we share may effectively deepen your understanding of every good thing that belongs to you in Christ. Your love has impacted me and brings me great joy and encouragement. For the hearts of the believers have been greatly refreshed through you, dear brother. Even though I have enough boldness in Christ that I could command you to do what is proper, I'd much rather make an appeal because of our friendship. So, here I am, an old man, a prisoner for Christ, making my loving appeal to you. And that appeal is on behalf of my child, whose spiritual father I became while here in prison, and that man is Onesimus. Now let's pause there for a second. This is where it starts to get real. Up until now, Philemon's reading this. He's like, that's great. Thank you for the encouragement. People having church at my house, and Archippus is here, and our friends are here, and we're bringing people to Jesus. Thank you for honoring the refreshing I bring to people's souls. Paul, what an encouraging guy. Now hold the phone. Why did you have to bring that guy up? Because Onesimus worked for Philemon. Onesimus betrayed him, stole from him, backstabbed him, and then deserted him. Onesimus was not the guy that Philemon probably expected to see much less have a letter written about. Onesimus, though, meets Paul after he betrays Philemon, backstabs Philemon, just totally uh, just puts a, 
a deaf ear to everything Philemon had taught him, totally runs away from it all. And in Roman law, this was punishable, to, of, punishable up to death. Onesimus steals from his master and backstabs and betrays him, talks about him behind his back, runs away, meets a man named Paul. Paul then leads Onesimus to Jesus. And then Onesimus' life is completely changed. And we can tell here in a minute based on the behavior of Onesimus. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Paul's writing this letter to Philemon from jail, but he can't get it to Philemon because he's in jail. So he calls Onesimus and has Onesimus deliver the letter to his backstabbed former boss. Now, Paul didn't do this on accident. This was all very much part of the plan, very much part of God's plan for Onesimus to receive something powerful, which we'll talk about here in a minute. So now you kind of get the gravity of why Onesimus, why Philemon would be reading this, having received it from Onesimus, about Onesimus. Look at verse 11. Formerly, he's talking about Onesimus here, he was not useful or valuable to you. But now he's valuable to both of us. He is my very heart, and I've sent him back to you with this letter. I would have preferred to keep him at my side so that he could take your place as my helper during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. However, I did not want to make this decision without your consent so that your act of kindness would not be a matter of obligation but out of willingness." Perhaps you could think of it this way. He was separated from you for a short time so that you could have him back forever. So welcome him no longer as a slave, but more than that, as a dearly loved brother. He is that to me especially, and how much more so to you, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. So if you consider me your friend and partner, accept him the same way you would accept me. And if he has stolen from you or owes you anything, just place it on my account. I, Paul, have written these words in my own handwriting, and I promise to pay you back everything to say nothing of the fact that you owe me a little bit of money yourself. Yes, my brother, enrich my soul in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ, I am writing to you with confidence that you will comply with my request and do even more than what I'm asking. And would you do one more thing for me, please? Since I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you soon, get my room ready. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in the anointed one, Jesus sends his greetings of peace to you as well. So does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my companions in the ministry. May the unconditional love of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, be with your spirit. Now you can tell everybody on Father's Day you read a whole book of the Bible. That's what you did today. You're such a spiritual dad. Look at you. You read a whole book of the Bible on Father's Day. There are some lessons in this letter to Philemon, 25 short verses, a very small letter, and the actual parchment of this letter has actually been found, and it fit on one piece of parchment. Very short, rolled up in a scroll, tied up with string, delivered 
to Philemon by Onesimus. Now, let me submit to you this argument that in this story, you and I are Onesimus. Paul is representing Jesus, and we know that because of what he did for Onesimus. But there are so many similarities as I read this letter. There's so many similarities digging into the history of it and seeing what Onesimus really did and what he went through. Too many similarities between me and Onesimus, between you and Onesimus. Every one of us have done things we wish we hadn't done and said things we wish we hadn't said and thought things we wish we hadn't thought and got stuck in cyclical patterns of sin that we just couldn't shake loose. And then every one of us can relate to the fact that we run from our problems sometimes, just like Onesimus did. Some of us in this room, maybe not all because I don't know all of you personally, but some of us in this room can attest to the fact that we've run from our problems and even in our running and even in our sin, Jesus still found us in the middle of our mess, brought people into our lives to bring us to faith, but there were still things left over that needed dealt with. Onesimus had a very radical conversion experience on Paul, one of Paul's road trips. Let's look at four things that happened to Onesimus or four things that are very true about him in this story. The first thing was he failed. He failed big time. He had it good. He had, he had a, a, a wonderful relationship with Philemon. He, he was useful. In fact, what's interesting is the name Onesimus means useful. He was living out what he was called to live out from the very beginning of his time. He was useful, but he went to use less and betrayed his friend and his master. And a lot of people would say to you, I don't believe in failure. And, 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 I, and I understand what they're saying, and sometimes I think it might just be semantics. But I think that you and I, we could all relate to the truth that we have totally failed before. We have totally messed up. I mean, we, we can all think back to things that have happened in our life and went, man, I wish that wasn't part of my story. Wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. The Bible shows us how God, though, uses failures and frailties. Look at King David. Even though our story's not about him, let me throw this in there for a second. Look at King David. When he sinned against God, by taking a census, and he counted his people instead of counting on God. Now, that we don't have time to dig into that story, but in that story, God punished David, and in so doing, David repented. And in David's repentance, David built an altar on the threshing floor of Aranah, the Jebusite. Now, this is why it makes sense. On that very ground... The place of David's failure and the place of David's repentance, the temple of the Lord was built in Jerusalem. The holiest place where God would dwell with, on earth with man was built on the grounds of human failure. So God has a track record, aren't you glad, of taking our failure and using it as a foundational element of our story to help other people. Isn't that good news? 
Now, here's a few thoughts about failure, and I wanted to dig into it just for a second, if I may. First thing is, you need to fail around people who will catch you. You need to fail around people who will catch you. Failing alone is miserable. It's important to have a group of confidants supporting you, reminding you that failure is not final. And maybe some of you can relate to the fact that you have totally messed up and you were alone when you did or you, you were alone directly thereafter and the thoughts and the torture of it were a little too hard to bear. And you didn't have somebody in the foxhole with you, fighting with you. You were isolated and alone. Friends, though, give you the perspective you need when you're drowning in hopelessness. And when we mess up and when we fail, we need people around us who are going to catch us. That's why small groups matter. That's why this context matters. The context of genuine relationship because you are going to be shaped by those around you. So choose to be influenced in an environment where the gospel matters most because that will shape you. The second thing about failure that I want to bring up is you need to fail knowing that it doesn't define you. You're going to totally mess up. Dads, you're probably going to mess up today. As the prophet of country music, Brad Paisley said, you're going to lose your temper and some sleep. And that might happen today on Father's Day. If it does, it's okay. It's okay. Failure is not final. And it doesn't define you. Now, it's human nature, though, for you and I to dwell on our missteps. It's human nature for you and I to dwell on our mess-ups and our mistakes and our failures. And then it's also part of that for you and I to dwell on what other people think about it. It's totally normal. I haven't met anybody in my lifetime, maybe very, very few, if there are any, that are just so good at failing. They, they always fail forward, and they're stronger than they were before the failure. And, and you, hear a lot of, you know, hear a lot of people say that in self-help tapes and stuff like that, but I wonder what really goes on in their head. I wonder what the thoughts really, really are. And if you let failure get you down and you stay in that pit, you rob yourself of the potential growth that that failure has to offer. Your past isn't your future. It doesn't define who you are or what the rest of your life will look like. What matters is what you do after you fail and how you move on. Winston Churchill said it this way, success is not final, but failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. So let's be honest. Let's be honest enough to admit our failures, to own it, and then to give it to Jesus, which leads me to our second lesson from Paul's letter to Philemon. Onesimus was found. He totally failed, totally messed up, ran from all of his problems, through the grace of Jesus, met a man named Paul, was found by Jesus, was therefore subsequently saved, having his future secured. 
he was totally found. And you and I thought maybe we were looking for Jesus or looking for significance or looking for someone or something, but the Bible is very clear that Jesus has been looking for us for a really long time. He was found. Philemon 10 says, I make this request on behalf of my child, Onesimus, whom I brought to faith during my time in prison. When you and I come to Christ, aren't you glad that we don't have to have our lives in perfect order? I'm so glad that Jesus catches his fish before he cleans them. I'm so glad that he didn't look at me and say, Landon, before I can look at you or receive you, I need you to be better. And maybe some of you felt like that. Maybe some of you have felt like, I totally messed up. I betrayed somebody. I, I did this, I did that, said this, said that, thought this, thought that, what have you. And I need to deal with some of this before I can really live for Jesus. The problem with that is, is that's not a biblical approach to your sin or yourself. Jesus is very clear that repentance is a process. It's not a one-time altar call, which just really fits nice in a 72-minute church service. It's not an altar call. Nowhere from cover to cover have I read that repentance or salvation is a one-time thing. You receive Jesus, but the Bible's very clear that salvation is worked out. Sanctification is a process. Repentance is a process. It's a way of life. And we'll talk more about this in a second, but Onesimus would return to Philemon with Paul's support and would seek healing in that relationship to Philemon. But that repentance was a process for him, and it's a process for us. Onesimus has not even yet fixed his legal status because he ran pretty far away. He didn't fix his relationship with Philemon before Paul baptized him. He was still a fugitive. He was, he was facing death and he knew it. And he was, had yet to completely correct the sins in his life before he got baptized. But Paul didn't let that stand in the way of his salvation at all. Onesimus was not perfect when he was baptized, but he did have this. He had already repented. Which that word in the Greek means to change your mind. Onesimus had already changed his thinking had changed his mind about who he was and what he had done. Were there still consequences of his actions to be dealt with? Yes. When we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, that doesn't mean that every consequence of what we've done disappears. Wouldn't that be nice if it did? But that's not how it works. There's still things earth side that you and I've got to deal with, but our future and our eternity can be secured in Jesus What's interesting about this is that we see after Onesimus meets Jesus, he then has a plan to set things right. Paul is involved in this with the letter he wrote to Philemon, and Onesimus had the courage to face it. Onesimus went back to face the person that he backstabbed, to face the person that he lied to, to face the person that he had stolen from to face the person and to face the relationship that had been damaged. He had the courage to face it. So the next point is 
Onesimus moved forward from there. I think I see a lot of people do this sometimes. They receive Jesus as Lord and they want to make Jesus their Savior and they have a a heart-level response to the gospel, which is incredible, which is amazing. I'm so glad for that. But there are things to deal with that we are just pretending still don't exist. And we're trying to move forward in Jesus, but we've got these this albatross around our neck. We're carrying these anvils around. We're carrying these heavy things around. And Jesus is wanting us to face it and deal with it. He wants us to move forward. Full restitution was needed between Onesimus and his former, his former friend, his former boss, Philemon. Paul wrote this brief letter and sent it with Onesimus to give to Philemon And in it, he asks Philemon to demonstrate Christian love toward the one that had backstabbed him. Then he asked him not only to forgive him, but to receive him as a brother. Not as a slave, but as a brother. And you can tell when somebody has grace operating in their life. You can tell when somebody has truly received that message from Jesus in their heart because they don't say things like he's to get what he deserves. They say things like receive him as a brother. Jesus has saved me. That same grace has been afforded to you. The same freedom I feel I want you to feel. I know you totally messed up but that'll make the grace even that much sweeter for you. That's the story of the cross. That's the story of Jesus. It was a life-threatening risk for Onesimus to seek to be restored in right relationship to Philemon. He was risking everything to go back. And maybe you would feel like that too. And I don't know what relationship you're thinking of right now or what phone call you feel like you need to make today. But in a lot of ways, it, it's very it can feel very difficult and it can, it can bring up old feelings and old thoughts and things that you thought you had, had put to bed and, and the things that you wish you would never have to think about again, the things that happened to you as a child with your dad and you hate Father's Day. All of those things that, that you're, you're wishing you wouldn't have to think about again, Now you're learning that it's part of God's plan for you to face it and deal with it so you can move forward. That's a hard pill to swallow. But guys like Onesimus did it, even facing death. It was part of his plan to face it and it's part of our plan to move forward and face it. And Onesimus took this life-threatening risk to walk up the driveway. I imagine what that scene would look like. It's been years, and Onesimus shows back up, carrying a letter, walking up the driveway. Can you imagine all the other employees, all the other servants going, isn't that the guy? Isn't that the guy that stabbed us in the back? That's the guy that stole whatever, whatever. That Walking up the driveway, hearing all the whispers, hand-delivering that letter to Philemon. And I imagine Philemon... I imagine what he would have been feeling in that moment. Do I call the cops? 
Do I have him arrested? Do I kill him myself? Do I call the servants to come kill him? Do we just drag him out of here and throw him in the barn and mess with him for a little bit? What do we do? Well, he reads the letter. And I imagine Philemon would have rolled it back up, put it in his pocket, and according to Scripture, we know that he was received back. But he was received as a brother this time. Typically, this treacherous employee would have been put to death. So for Onesimus to willingly pursue Philemon was unheard of. Nowhere else in this book have I read somebody do something like that. That they, because of the deep soul level repentance that they had felt in their heart, because of what Jesus did for them, they knew they had to face it. And whatever consequences of them facing it Whatever those consequences might be pales in comparison to the amazing grace they've received in Jesus. See, when you and I truly understand the gift of grace and forgiveness and salvation that has been afforded to us, the pain of facing what we need to deal with is less than the joy of having received salvation. And so we've got to move forward to face it. And, and, and for some of us today, you know you've got something you've been running from that you need to face. You know there's a strained relationship in your family that needs to be made right. You know there's something that, that has, has been dragging you down, something that you need free from. So I wanna ask you, does it have to do with forgiveness? Who do you need to forgive? And I know Father's Day can bring up a lot of things. Maybe it's centered around your dad. Who do you need to forgive or who do you need to ask for forgiveness from? In his letter to Philemon, Paul invites his brother in Christ to demonstrate Christ's love to Onesimus so that mercy and grace could have its perfect work. And that was only possible because of the work of Jesus on the cross already. See, it's not under our own power that we can forgive and move forward. Landon doesn't have enough power or spirituality to dig this up and just self-will myself through forgiveness. It's because of the foundation of forgiveness that my life is based upon that I deserve hell but I won't get it because Jesus paid my debt for me. It's because of that truth that I can forgive and moving forward is based on the fact that you yourself have already been forgiven. So when you don't forgive and you hide and you run from it, the only person you're putting in prison is yourself. And it may seem impossible for you to face what's been haunting you, the things you've been running from, but. When Christ comes and does his perfect work in our hearts, the impossible becomes possible and reconciliation becomes reality for many people and life moves forward because we're starting to settle our yesterdays. 
And God in his loving kindness doesn't make us settle all of our yesterdays at one time. It's piece by piece, it's year by year, it's story by story, it's memory by memory. He allows us to walk through maturity. Again, remember repentance and growth is a process. And the last thing we're learning about Onesimus today before we close is he was now completely free. This guy that was hiding and wondering if the cops were gonna bust through and this guy that knew that he had totally betrayed and hurt somebody and lots of other people, this guy that had been running from his problems for so long was now completely free. Imagine how that freedom feels. Some of you know what that freedom, what freedom might feel like, like you pay, finally finished paying off your credit cards. You know what that freedom feels like? You, you finally move out of mom and dad's house and then you go get some credit cards. But you finally, you finally feel free. You, fi- you know what that freedom feels, that, that moment where you receive Jesus as savior And for the first time in your life, you felt like the devil wasn't controlling your every move. That freedom, that freedom. Repentance often requires restitution and we talked about it earlier and we're gonna read the scripture here again. Paul offers to pay for it. Paul was willing to pay the debt himself for Onesimus. Paul's example is an authentic picture of grace, an authentic picture of substitution, the very substitution Jesus gave when he bore our sin debt on Calvary's cross. Let's just read it again. If you consider me your friend and partner, accept Onesimus the same way you would accept me. And if he's stolen anything from you or owes you anything, just place it on my account. Onesimus was now free. He was now reconciled. He was now refreshed. He was now reset. It's a beautiful picture of grace. In just 335 short little words, we see the whole gospel. We see how God can take somebody's life that was completely messed up by their own doing, intersect their life supernaturally with somebody that leads them to faith in Jesus. And then through that relationship, through that that relationship came genuine life change. And because of that genuine life change, now that person Onesimus had enough power and strength in Jesus to face things and move forward. That's my heart for you is that some of you would stay in the water, quit dipping your toe into church and then ducking out. Quit dipping into small groups and then ducking out. You'll never ever get soft to the things of the Lord by jumping in and jumping out. Allow him to intersect your life supernaturally with people. Allow God to bring people around you that will soften you and help you and live life with you and speak truth to you so that you can now live your life based on biblical truth, deal with your yesterdays, and begin to face some things that will bring you true freedom. 
the relationships you've been running from, the memories you've been running from, God wants to give you the courage to face it. And I believe it's God's desire for every one of us to live free. It's part of our church's mission here is for people to find real freedom. They can settle their yesterdays and live life free from the nonsense that has been binding them up for so many years. And the, the essence of the gospel, everybody, is freedom. Isaiah 61 says that Jesus was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release prisoners from darkness. Jesus came to bring dead things to life. And without Christ, all of us are lost and enslaved to sin. And nobody, but none of us can earn our freedom. None of us can do anything or be good enough or be a good enough dad. None of us can be good enough to get anything from God. Everyone needs to receive Jesus and embrace the finished work on the cross. That's it. Ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior and to be in the driver's seat. But it's because of the cross that you and I can be set free just like Onesimus was freed and forgiven. Paul's words to Philemon help us understand that in Christ you and I have a new value system. People are no longer defined by what they once were, but by their new identity as children of God. And that's the lesson we learn on this part of Paul's road trip. That's the lesson we learn, that the things that you and I have been running from that defined us for so long don't have to anymore. The, the things that we have been hiding from don't have to have control anymore. Those memories don't have to have control anymore. You and I can live free but it starts with the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And it's the same decision that Onesimus made when he met Paul, and it was to declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning, everybody? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you have crossed our life path with people who have shown us grace, people that have shown us freedom. Lord, we're so thankful for that. And God, may we recognize it when those relationships are, when they come our way. And God, I just wanna pray for every person within sound of my voice in this room or watching online that the things that they are so afraid of to face that they would find courage to face it based on the grace and forgiveness of Christ in their life. That they would re-embrace re Christ and that they would embrace the truth that you are working all things for good. Especially the hard things. So Jesus, we turn back to you today. Everybody, would you pray with me today? Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of running from my sin. Forgive me for isolating myself. I come to you today. 
I bow my knee to your lordship. And I accept you as my Lord and King. Thank you, Lord, for crossing my life path with people that I need. So I embrace good relationships and I won't run from it. Holy Spirit, would you show me the phone calls I need to make, the conversations I need to have. I choose freedom today. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Your word tells me that I'm now brand new. So I declare it today. I'm brand new and I'll never be the same. Never, never, never in Jesus' name. Everybody give God praise this morning for what he's done. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church podcast. If God uses this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.